0: communicating stories well, and understanding how to inspire people from a heart space to take meaningful action, all of that falls into design and creative thinking and imagination.
1: This is Designing for Humanity, a podcast by SY Partners about designing a future that's made for all of us and the best in us. I'm Reno Argard. And I'm talking with some of the most interesting people I know about how we, as designers, can tackle the most complex challenges our society faces right now. How can we use design to reimagine the ways we interact with each other and with the world? I'm here to start the conversation about what new ways of thinking and methods are needed. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Gabby Allman. I first met Gabby last year when we both spoke at the Harvest Summit, and innovation festival for leaders in Sonoma, California. We exchanged cards, yes, cards really, and promised to reconnect, which we did, and uh, this is now the perfect opportunity. I thought, who would be better to have as a guest than someone who actually designs new systems and mobilizes people, and finds new ways to use data and technology and design thinking to help human beings? Gabby has advised companies, governments, and humanitarian organizations on large-scale emergency response strategies and has even launched a grassroots accelerator called Rise of the Bulls to help mobilize organizations and creative communities to work together in solving our world's greatest challenges. I can't wait to learn more about this work and what you've learned lately. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Re. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm going to start by asking you how you came to design. I don't know that you see yourself as a designer necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you are very well versed in, I think, in the process and in the language. And Mm -hmm. so tell me about the time when you came into contact with design as a powerful
0: force for change. Sure. So I would say that that interaction happened really by accident, but wanted to be an architect as a teenager, and didn't really understand the mechanics of what architecture is about, but knew that I loved building things and understanding aesthetics and having a sense that the built environment has an impact on how people feel about themselves in the world that they live in. But through a series of events, I ended up studying international business and then pivoted into emergency response. But since that time, I ended up dating and marrying an Imagineer at the Walt Disney Company and really didn't appreciate what he did for a living until really a few years ago where I found myself working with high-level decision makers in government, at the federal level, state level, local level, at humanitarian organizations, at various agencies within the United Nations system. And all of them were saying, the same thing, which was, we are in new times. We need to completely rethink how we do business, how we serve people, how we even view problems that we want to solve. And we don't really know where to turn to get new direction. And I realized that designers have a really unique way of uncovering issues, asking the right questions so that they get to the right problems. and. That realization at that time started my journey in wanting to understand creatives, how creatives think, how to apply design principles in government and humanitarian aid, and in trying to find ways to support what I call public creative collaboration. Mm. That's a fascinating concept, public creative
1: collaboration. And we'll come back to that when we talk about Rise of the Bulls. So how does that notion show up in your work today? Like how do you cultivate and and grow that practice of planning for large-scale events with so many unknowns on behalf of humanity and look at that and creativity at the same time?
0: Yeah. So I utilize my experience and my position on FEMA's National Advisory Council to start talking about different concepts and throwing out ideas about how design can and and should impact what we do beyond just straightforward design thinking and and human-centered design thinking. We in government know, and I'm not speaking on behalf of FEMA, I'm just speaking on behalf of Mm -hmm. myself and my colleagues. But we know we're really bad at a few things. We're really good at some things, and we're we're not so good at others. One is communicating stories well, Mm. communicating ideas visually, and understanding how to inspire people from a heart space to take meaningful action in a couple different areas. And all of that falls into design and creative thinking and imagination. There's something happening where... Leaders are now aware of that, but also wanting to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so I've been fostering a few projects to bring these two groups together to start having conversation. And there's really interesting things coming about it and a lot of enthusiasm and, as Oprah would say, aha moments Mm -hmm. happening. So I see a really bright future (laughs) Uh um, in this space. Great.
1: So what tools do we need when we bring the practice of design thinking into a space or into a culture that is aware that that is not their space, not what they're good at? So I know you talk about language and basically like the Mm -hmm. translation of concepts from one industry and one way of thinking to another and that of FEMA, for example. Mm -hmm. Give me some examples.
0: Yeah. Well, first... Having translators at the beginning of two industries or two groups talking to each other is really critical. I was pushing for FEMA's National Advisory Council to take up the topic of storytelling. On the subcommittee I serve on, it looks at everything that can be done before a disaster happens. What can we do on a national level to prepare as a country? So one of the topics that I had thrown out for a long time was the importance of being effective storytellers and understanding what that means and how we can adopt some of the lessons that have been learned in entertainment. What I realized is I was ineffective in advocating for this idea because storytelling is a creative term, but if I had from the beginning used the term messaging or communications, which is more common in government speak, I could have gotten a lot further. So we use different words and it's important to explain what those words mean to each other, not just from the creative to the public side, but if we're really collaborating from the public to the creative side. Absolutely. Very often we we spend energy making our
1: case, right? Or trying to bring other people into our universe when it's actually, we just have to find the connection and the space in between and, and maybe develop a, a third language for yeah. what it means to think
0: creatively. In addition to talking about storytelling, One idea that really excites me that I want to explore in the space that I work in is thinking about the processes that we plan for and the programs that we develop less as logistics issues and more about experiences. Mm -hmm. When someone comes into a shelter after a fire or a earthquake, a lot of times what we think about is, okay, the person enters here in this door, then they meet with this person to register, and then they find a cot over here, and then they grab their food over here. But really, the survivor is not thinking of their experience like that. So I'm curious to explore how we bring designers into the fold to help us think about it in that way and to design our spaces and our processes to really truly impact the people the humans that we serve for the better and actually you know this this brings me back to that moment that i had with my husband billy where i realized there's something here so billy um is an imagineer they're all Mm -hmm. about designing experiences for Uh children and at that time i was working for a humanitarian organization looking at what we call child-friendly spaces, so tents that are specifically built for children to come after emergencies and just play or be in school for a little bit, where children can just be children for a few hours. And so I thought one day, how would this tent look different if Imagineers had a chance to redesign it from the layout to what's actually in there to how it looks? And the idea really excited me. Yeah. I want to go back just
1: a little bit and talk about the time between when we met at the Harvest Summit and then you became really busy and basically <laughs> yeah. have, have resurfaced with some, you know, a great need to start an organization on your own. Tell me about the work that you've been doing.
0: Yeah. So, about three years ago, I started my own consulting practice. And since that time, I've been working at the intersection of technology and humanitarian aid Mm -hmm. and government work. I realized that my interests were shifting. And I think it was because I was starting to sniff out that the next wave of disruption wasn't going to be in technology. It's going to be in creativity and, and imagination. About two years ago, I decided, okay, I'm going to start this effort. I'm going to start this community, and I'm going to call it Rise of the Bulls. and I'm going to mobilize as many creatives, creative thinkers, imaginative thinkers, people who are disruptive in their processes and the way that they view problems, and I'm going to present them to my network across all these different sectors, and we are going to find a way Mm -hmm. to spark collaboration between these two groups, because again, you have these leaders who need inspiration, who want to completely disrupt what they're doing, but they don't know where to turn, and you have these immensely gifted, creative people who want to make an impact in the world, but don't have an avenue to do that. So, you've come together
1: to experiment and Mm -hmm. to solve problems. Can you bring us into that process? What is
0: happening? What's actually going on? Sure. So one of the areas that's emerging in homeland security and emergency management is extremism. We talked to about seven different organizations that either gather data on extremism, that work with extremists or convene thought leaders working against extremism to understand what problems do they have in solving the rise of extremism and how do they even define that problem. And so what what we found in, in interviews with these organizations is that there is a data problem, um, but that's out of Rise of the Bulls' sure. wheelhouse. But the second problem is... The greater extremism community, people fighting this topic, they're trying to understand how can we reach people who are heading down the path of radicalization, no matter what group that they're going to, Mm -hmm. how can we reach them and how can we give them a message that makes them want to pivot off of that path or at least reconsider? And so when, when I heard that, that rang a bell to me that that sounds like communications, that sounds like messaging, but in creative speak, that sounds like storytelling. Mm-hmm. What if we got a group of creatives who work in graphic design, who are creative directors, who work in film, who work in music, And we brought them to the table to share what they know about creating an authentic message about reaching people who are initially resistant to the story that you're trying to tell, to explore what kinds of technology and avenues to reach people could be. And we, as a group, ideated 150 different ideas as to how to reach people and and what that message could and should look like. One of the things that we found in speaking with the organization is that when it comes to extremists, one of the most effective ways to to reach people that are being radicalized is to have former extremists talk to them about Mm -hmm. what that reality really is. Since that time, one of the people in that group who works in film has been pitching different Hollywood executives on a few of the ideas that we came up with in terms of shows and integrating extremist stories into um, our daily narrative. So that's one area that we've done. The second topic that we looked at was looking at refugee migration Mm. and how that experience could be transformed. If you look at literature or poetry that refugees write, oftentimes they're talking about home and the concept of home. And so we as a group wanted to look at, well, how could we transform the places and the spaces refugees migrate through to be more reflective of their homes? And how could that impact their mental well-being? So we gathered interior designers, structural engineers, and a few other people that work in the built environment and started to think about what would that look like and how can we share our ideas with UNHCR which is the UN agency that's in charge of managing migration flow throughout the world and and how can we share what we're talking about with Airbnb which has an open homes program what would it look like if hosts around the world who are opening their homes had guidance or instruction about how to make their home more reflective or somehow speak to where Mm -hmm. these refugees are coming from.
1: What is, what's your community excited about or what are the things that they really want to address? Yeah, so
0: the design of technology and how that impacts our daily life, looking at how to transform the foster care experience, either locally or nationally, is of huge interest. Looking at domestic violence and gender-based violence, but also a huge concern is related to empathy in how do we inspire mass empathy and the reignition of compassion locally and nationally is a is an interest as well. What strikes me as you're talking about it is that there are
1: things that play out on the most intimate scale for all of us in all our lives, right? And a mm-hmm. systemic approach at the same time, mm-hmm. right? The topic of foster care in that sense is. Is really fascinating, uh, and it's connected in many ways to the feeling of home and what does that mean, yes. and what does that mean to a child? And know that everything that you're learning and exploring mm-hmm. feeds into each other, and, and yes. you get so much smarter so fast by working the way that you're working.
0: And it's amazing, like you said, it's really incredible to see how everything is truly connected to mm-hmm. one another. I that never struck me before when we look at extremism. The root causes have nothing to do with these radical ideologies. People find themselves going to groups like ISIS or Mm -hmm. the KKK or the alt-right because of trauma, Mm -hmm. a lack of identity, strong feelings of isolation. And when we look at bullying in school or we look at the educational experience that has to be transformed, it's related to that, which is related to so many other, it's amazing. Do you see that in design at all? Do those yes, connections that, pop up a lot? That is really what I'm exploring
1: in these in the series of podcasts are the connections between all these different topics mm-hmm. and how we can use design as the language and the point of connection that allows us to, with empathy or compassion, because um, mm-hmm. that would be operating, right, like mm-hmm. actually doing something, very specifically affecting people's lives, even if it's on a one-to-one scale or in the smallest unit of community. But understanding that to see the change that we want to see, we also have to look at systems in the Mm -hmm. largest way possible. So when we're talking about migration, that happens not just one place in the world, Mm -hmm. obviously, Mm -hmm. Uh, but all over, and what are the things that, that we can learn from each other and that we have in common, and what are the structures that are working against
0: us. I I would love to talk a little bit about empathy. Oh, absolutely. An area that we are exploring on the council at FEMA and I think in general is the breakdown of community Mm -hmm. ties. Social cohesion is breaking Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. And while that's troubling as just an individual and a member of society... What we know in emergency management is the stronger the sense of community in a neighborhood, the more likely it is to be able to recover effectively from a disaster. So when we're looking at a continued rise in the frequency and a worsening of the scope of disasters, both in our country and around the world, seeing our connection with one another breaking down seeing the divisiveness in this country Mm. on the rise, the rise of extremism in our country. Mm. We are worried that when the next Hurricane Harvey rolls through or the next huge wildfire rolls through, it's gonna be even tougher for people to recover because they don't trust their neighbor. They don't like their neighbor. And truly your neighbor is your first responder. It's gonna take time for the fire department, the police department, whomever else to reach you and so we are trying to understand how we can help rebuild community ties even though that's so far out of our wheelhouse but it has such a huge impact on what we do Mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out like how can we how can we do that you made me think about two things of about design that I believe
1: is true and and I think it's what you're experiencing in the approach of people who use design as their their tool, the way they do their work, the way they contribute, is that it's inherently an act of service.
0: Mm. It is something
1: you do on behalf of someone else.
0: Mm-hmm. That's and, amazing. I never thought about it in that way, but I, as you're saying that, I see such a strong parallel to a designer and a public servant, where mm-hmm. you're creating for the benefit, as you said, of someone else, and what you create, what you design, lives on potentially far beyond mm-hmm. Yourself, Totally. That's amazing. Yes. You know, I wonder what would happen if we all, speaking about my people, mm-hmm. if we all looked at ourselves as designers, if we all acknowledge that that's actually what we're doing. I don't mm-hmm. think we realize that's what we're doing. And we are. I see we that are. that's
1: what you're doing. I mean, that's how I see you. That's how I connected with you before knowing you. It's like... You're, you're an architect of systems. Thank you for that. That's, that's affirming. You've also been spending some time at Art Center in, yes. in LA. And you're super excited about this one class that you're taking around um, neuroscience and how that shows up in imagination and mm-hmm. creativity. What are you learning? I want to take that class. Yeah. I'm super jealous. So I'm just going to live through you while you're telling me what excites you.
0: Yeah. I decided when I started Rise of the Bulls is that if I'm going to rally creative people and I'm trying to advocate for creative thinking in government, in humanitarian aid, I need to understand what creativity actually looks like and what that means on a literal and figurative level. Mm-hmm. And as someone who loves science and loves data, I found this course at Art Center called The Neuroscience of Imagination, and it actually looks at the biology and psychology of people when they are imagining things, when they're dreaming, when they're creating. And I took it because I envisioned coming into an office one day and, and saying, This is your brain on a regular day. This is your brain on creativity and showing how that lights up and Mm. how it's different. It sounds so fun and what you're describing is
1: another way of connecting data and the human experience and using Mm -hmm. science as the language that helps us understand both sides. So many people who perceive of themselves as designers describing themselves as inherently optimistic, right? Mm-hmm. That that imagining a future demands that you think there is one and that it yes. could be a good one and you are going to take part in, in helping us get there. And so when your work is about imagining really difficult things where mm-hmm. most of us have no control and and that may be a future or not a future after it, what does that do to your your psyche? And are you a positive person or or what is your
0: <laughs> what's yeah. your
1: approach here?
0: In the Art Center class, we went over five types of imagination. So mm-hmm. daydreaming and a couple of other things, but one of the last ones that we talked about was the term catastrophizing, mm-hmm. which is thinking of the worst thing possible. Mm-hmm. And in the class, that is mentioned as something that's really negative. And so it took me back because I realized that's what I do for a living. Yes. Which you're is you're thinking a catastrophizer. A, yes. I yes. think of like the worst thing possible <laughs> at all times. Right. And so it is. It is heavy. It's, it's very heavy, but what I've realized just even recently in the last couple of days is that for my fellow catastrophizers in the emergency management world, in humanitarian aid, in homeland security, the fact that we do this for a job speaks to our inherent creativity. Mm-hmm. We are creative people. And it's also made me realize that all of us are hopeful people there's some nugget in us that is endlessly hopeful that we can overcome the kinds of things that we are imagining to be possible thank you that was mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm.
1: oh so gabby i don't even know how to end this conversation yeah. <laughs> we just either. it's just the beginning it's just the beginning there we, go. we need to go do something <laughs> for for sure thank you so much for for being here and
0: and for sharing from your heart your experience thank you and and I really want us to mark a pin on this date because my mind is running with all the different things that we could do and and collaborate on so let's let's see where this conversation just the beginning goes fantastic
1: thank you so much